Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being with us. If you would, open your Bibles to Numbers, the 11th chapter. And uh, there'll be very few slides tonight, but if we'll begin with a quick reference to Numbers, the 11th chapter, and then we'll be looking at 1 Timothy, the 3rd chapter tonight. Uh, there are more pink sheets available. Uh, they've been run just since the beginning of, of worship service. We realized that we'd run out of those, and some of you, thankfully, were asking for those. So if you need a prayer request uh, sheet, be sure and pick that up after services and return it as quickly as you can, and we will be sure to make your request known, and that'll be a part of uh, the prayer day Saturday and a part of the prayer. Keep in mind, Saturday... Uh, as you're out and about, make plans to be here at least once. And then if you're out and about and you're passing by or close to the building on the hour, stop in again. If you can imagine our congregation and divide it up, and I haven't even counted the hours, but 6 to 10, and on the top of every hour, it's going to be 14, 15, 16, 17 times. Sometimes you'll come in here and, and there will only be maybe and led in prayer together. But it is a wonderful, wonderful experience. So make sure that, that you're a part of that as throughout the day, hundreds will be gathered together at various times uh, and praying together. Isn't it exciting to see before services tonight, see Andrew leading Pew Packers and there were 31 children present? Uh, what a blessing uh, our youth are to us and what hope and their zeal to learn, what encouragement that gives us. And we appreciate Andrew and his work with them. And we appreciate you young people that make a point to get here early and be a part of, of that wonderful activity. It's great to have our small crew that was away this morning out making arrangements for our stateside mission trip next June. Uh, it's exciting to some specific prayer requests that we can be making toward that. The hearts will be prepared and God's work can be done there. And we appreciate each one that went and were a part of that today. Leadership. There's nothing easy about leadership. I believe one of the things that we take for granted too often is we take for granted the position of leadership, but we never consider the life of leadership. Every leader has to give up things in order to lead. Every leader that you know has given up spare time and free time, and oftentimes leaders have to give up hobbies and etc. Leaders have to give up the ability to relax their mind at times because responsibilities are heavy. When we think about leadership, I like to think about Moses, one of the strongest leaders that we read about in the Scriptures. And just a quick introduction to this idea of leadership, I want to remind you of one occasion that we could turn throughout the old Bible and see examples like this over and over. But for example, in Numbers, the 11th chapter, they'd spent about a year, the children of Israel, around Mount Sinai, and they're ready to march forward now. They only march for a few days, and the people begin saying in verse 5, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. You get the picture here. They're doing what they seem to do best. They were wonderful complainers. They knew how to complain. They knew how to make life miserable for each other, for themselves, as well as for the leader. Oh, and they could even go beyond that. When we skip down to verse 10, it says... Then Moses heard the people. Now you imagine you're Moses, you're the leader, and you're trying to sleep tonight. And notice this, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. 
The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused and Moses was displeased. Can you imagine hearing hundreds of thousands of people crying? Why? We want fish to eat. We remember those delicious melons that we had, wonderful cucumbers, great onions that we had. We want that. Keep in mind, they've been free from bondage. They're free from slavery. They have the promised land before them. But yet they find many things for which to complain. As we're about to read these next few verses, I want you to notice this point one of introduction. Leadership has never been for the faint-hearted. Listen to what one of the strongest leaders that's ever led had to say at this point in his life. Verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Talking about himself. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. That's strong words. Moses is saying, I'm tired of it, God. I can't go on anymore. I've carried this burden, and this burden is so heavy, I can't carry it any longer. If it's going to be this way, I do not want to live. I'm not suggesting to you that every moment of leadership is like that. I believe if, you would have, if we could visit right now with Moses and we could ask him, he would say, oh no, that's not every moment. But friends, we must realize that that is an aspect of leadership. There will be burdens to bear. And so if my idea of leadership is, I want to hold this position, but I expect everything to be comfortable. I expect everything to be so wonderful. I expect everything to just be encouraging and upbeat, and I'm just going to encourage everybody, and I'm going to make everybody upbeat. We're fooling ourselves. From the beginning till now and to the end of time, leadership comes with burdens. And a man that wants to step up and be a leader but doesn't want to be burdened by people is asking for something that's impossible. The second thing that I need to see is that if there's not enough leaders, even the strongest can faint. The solution that God gave him in verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seven men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. And as the story continues to read, God has these 70 men to be able to receive the gift of prophecy, and they're able to go out into the camp and speak to everyone. Think of the help that that was to Moses. It was Moses trying to speak to the people. It was Moses trying to deal with these people. And now God says, Moses, I'm going to give you 70 helpers. You go out and find men that are already shown leadership ability. And we're going to give them a special gift. And they're going to help us take care of this situation. And so it is. Anytime a number of people grow, the number of leaders must increase. Or the leaders that are present are going to feel very much overwhelmed. But even Moses had to be reminded of this third point. And that is great leaders have to trust God. Look with me, if you will, in verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether 
what I say will happen to you or not. Can you imagine what went through Moses' mind? Yes, Lord, you told me to go and warn Pharaoh of those ten plagues, and every one of them took place just as you said. Lord, we stood there at the sea with the enemy at our back, and we submitted to you, and you parted the waters, and you delivered us. We can always trust you. In other words, Moses could say, Lord, you have never let me down. And now God is having to remind Moses, Moses, wake up. Don't lose faith here. Is my arm shortened? Do you think all at once I can't do what I've always been able to do? In other words, he's saying, Moses, are you going to trust in me? We can get through this. And leaders, that must be the attitude and the heart of every godly leader. God and you can do this. If a leader ever starts thinking it's up to himself to do this, he's already failed. What a wonderful situation we're in in this congregation where we have wonderful leaders that give their life day in and day out. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to select some additional deacons uh, to carry out ministries that need so desperately to be carried out. There's not a ministry that we have that's not an important ministry. A ministry that will not directly affect the lives of many individuals. One that will move forward the work of the Lord. Ministries that will involve many people in this moving forward of the work of the Lord. Now, will there be challenging times in each of those ministries? Absolutely. But with many people helping and many leaders standing shoulder to shoulder and with trust in God, it can and it will be done. If you will, turn with me to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and let's look at half of the qualifications that God gives of that of the office of deacon. When we look in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, we see in verse 8 and 9, think with me for the first few words here. He says in verse 8, likewise, deacons. Why the word likewise? Because in the previous seven verses, he's spoken about the office of elder. You see, the office of elder... And this is going to be true of deacons also. It's a God-given office with God-given qualifications to carry out a God-given responsibility or task. If you're visiting with us tonight, we need to make sure that every one of us here understands this fact. We're not talking about anything tonight that man has designed. God is the one that has designed these offices. God is the one that has set forth the qualifications of the men that have fulfilled these offices. And God is the one that has told the responsibilities that each of these offices are to have. And so as he's given the office of elder and he has talked about the qualifications, now he says likewise, in the same pattern of speech, if you will, he says now I'm going to talk about another office, the office of deacon. And I'm also going to talk about qualifications. And if you'll notice there, he says they must have. Now we'll talk about that word must in just a moment, but let's think about the word deacon. The word deacon literally means one who serves tables. It's the idea of servanthood through and through. In other words, we could not find a stronger word for the word servant than we can the word deacon. That is what the word means. And so when the Lord says, I want individuals to serve as deacons, he's saying, I want individuals to serve as servants. They are going to be in an office of leadership, 
So they're going to be servants that lead and implied lead others in this work of the Lord of which they are engaged. Now notice he said that the deacons must, and then he begins a list of several things. You see, the word must tells us there that these are not options. These are not suggestions. These are not things that we can overlook one or several of them and still say that we have done things the way God has taught us to do them. We cannot overlook one of the obligations here that God has given, one of the qualifications, and say, that man should be in the office. And so it is. We begin by looking at the first thing that the Lord says, that a man that would be qualified to be a deacon, he must be reverent. As we consider the word reverent, the New International Version will say, worthy of respect. I want you to notice, if you will, Philippians the fourth chapter. In Philippians the fourth chapter, we see this same word, and it's translated in another English word. He says, finally, brethren, Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble. In the King James, this word is also translated honest in Philippians 4. And in the King James here in 1 Timothy 3, it's translated grave. Now, I'm just simply giving you several English translations in different passages of this one word so that we can kind of get our hands around it and we can understand. When the Lord says the man must be reverent, the man must be grave, the man must be noble, the man must be honest. In other words, these words imply that the reputation of the man is such that his sound mind, sound judgment has been a part of his life. Wouldn't it be a shame if a man was not reverent, if a man was not noble, if he were not honest, but yet he was placed into the service of a deacon. And he went out and he dealt in the name of the church as a deacon with individuals, but yet he didn't deal honest with them. He was not noble in his dealing with them. Think how that would mark the reputation of the church. God wants his work to be carried out by those that have shown that honest reputation, those that have carried a heart, a mind, and a life that is of integrity and honesty. The second one that we see there on our list, likewise, deacons must be reverent, and then he says, not double-tongued. This is interesting because it is the only time this word is used in all of the Bible. The idea of double tongue could mean to not be forked tongued. In other words, one would say something of truth to one person at one particular setting, but yet they would speak a falsehood to another person in another setting. We also carries with it the idea of hypocrisy. In other words, they would appear to act as if they were a faithful Christian in one setting, but yet they would not live the Christian life in another setting. You see, those two things are very much a part of being double-tongued, that of lies and falsehood and that of hypocrisy. And the Lord wants an individual that is going to be qualified to be a deacon, to be an individual that is sincere. Now, at first, you might not think of that word being the opposite of double-tongued, but it is. Because, you see, sincere goes back to a singleness of thought. In other words, it doesn't matter what crowd you're around, your words, your life, 
your actions are always going to be the same. You would say the same thing to your work crowd or to your school friends as you would say to the people sitting in this very room. If you were on vacation, your standard of morality would be the very same that your standard of morality would be sitting right here among faithful Christians. In other words, it's one that has lived a sincere life, not double-tongued. It's kind of lived out in the illustration in James, the second chapter, where the rich man comes in, and because of his fine rings and jewelry, and because of his expensive apparel, there's an individual that says, Here, sit in this place, and gives him a wonderful place to sit. But yet someone else comes in, and their clothing proves that they are in poverty, And instead of standing up and offering them the same seat that they offered the wealthy person, he says, you can stand over there, or I'll move my feet and you can sit on my footstool. Why the difference? Because that person was not sincere. That person had one standard of which they held for those that they esteemed to be wealthy and had another standard that they held for those that they deemed to be in poverty. This idea of not being double-tongued. It's not just in speech alone. It's what a heart causes our tongue to say. And so it is, a man must be going back to an expression that was a part of our young people's retreat recently. A man must be real. He must be an authentic Christian through and through, day in and day out. Notice this third qualification here as he says, not given to much wine. It's interesting, out of all of the things that could be addressed, and if you will be turning to Proverbs, the 20th chapter, out of all the things that could be addressed, as he gives only about 10 qualifications, one of the things that he brings up is the danger of addiction. The idea of not giving to much wine could also be described as not addicted to wine. In other words, the danger of a man giving his life over to anything that is harmful to him and to his reputation would cause him to not be qualified for the work of a deacon. Here's what the old proverb says in words of wisdom from Proverbs, the 20th chapter and verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker. How many individuals under the influence of wine have said things and done things that those around them could laugh at them, could mock them? Things that they would have never done and said if they would not have been under the influence of that wine. Strong drink, he says, is a brawler. How many contentions have there been? How many fights and brawls have there been because of strong drink? When we think about family and domestic violence, so oftentimes alcohol is associated with that. When we think about sporting events and we think about fights that break out in the stands, almost immediately people assume that alcohol is involved in that brawl because it so oftentimes is. When we think about people that have problems in the workplace, how oftentimes does alcohol create problems in the workplace? But notice how he closes this verse by saying that it will lead men astray. Whoever is led astray is not wise. So you see, he said, it'll make a mockery of your life. 
It'll make a brawler out of you. And if you allow it to lead your life, you're simply not dealing wise in your life. When he says, or led by it, he's pointing to addiction. Now, I don't want to add anything to the Word of God that's not there. And so I want to be very straight with you on this. I think there's a principle here that we can apply even more than alcohol. And that's the principle that a man that has anything leading his life other than Jesus Christ is not qualified for the office of deacon. We need to make sure that Christ is the one leading our life. If an individual has drugs leading their life, if an individual has pornography addiction leading their life, if an individual has gambling habits that are leading their life, you put anything in that blank other than Jesus Christ and that person is not only have problems with the qualification of a deacon, but that person has problems in living the Christian life. Because the Lord said we have to be willing to deny self and take up the cross and follow Him. Let's look at this fourth thing that's mentioned here at the end of verse 8. He says, not greedy for money. Now the interesting thing about this that you might say would add a little more emphasis to it, is this same exact wording is given in previous verses as he speaks of elders here in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. And when you go over to Titus, the first chapter, and we see other qualifications that are listed for the elder, we see this same qualification listed again with the same exact wording, not greedy for money. In other words, any place that the Lord speaks of the qualifications of elders or deacons, this one is mentioned every time in the exact wording. What's the point? The Lord says the man cannot be driven by the greed of money. And we know from reading 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, this same book, over in the 6th chapter in verse 10, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now when we think of what the love for money, the greed that moves an individual's life, and we say, well, what's the danger of that individual serving as a deacon? One thing is that he might mishandle the funds that might be in his control. If a man is driven by the love of money, he could very easily use funds for his own benefit or to gain favor in the eyes of others in his benefit. Secondly, he could simply steal the funds. Third, if he has the love of money, Probably what is most oftentimes seen is that the desire to obtain more money gets more in the way so that he's not able, he's convinced himself, to have time to carry out the work of the ministry. In other words, we're talking about a balance here that can only be found if one does not have a love for money. You know, the longer I live, the more I realize that balance is the key to successful, happy, holy, spiritual life. That balance where you say, this is the amount of time that I'll place in my career. 
This is the amount of time that I'll, I'll give to my family. This is the amount of time that I'll spend in the work of the Lord's church as a member of the Lord's church. And this is the amount of time that I invest in my life in daily devotion and growing closer to God by knowing His Word and praying to Him. I would guess that most of us here tonight, if not every one of us, would say, I agree with that. It is hard to balance all of those things. Well, if you want to turn those things completely upside down, you place greed in that mix and you'll slight every one of the others. A man that is greedy for money can find all kind of time to work and make money, but yet he'll slight his family, he'll slight his personal devotion and study to God, and he'll slight the work of the Lord's church. The Lord knows that better than you and I know that. And he says, if that man is greedy for money, don't let him serve in the office of deacon. Don't let him serve in the office of elder. Also, let's notice this ninth one. He says, holding, I'm sorry, it's the fifth one in verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Notice he said the mystery of the faith. Here he's not talking about his own personal faith. The mystery is that that was unknown to the prophets of old. Even John the Baptist didn't know the things that you and I know today because we hold the entire written word. We know the beginning and we know the end of what has been in inspired writings. And so we have things that the prophets and the angels just long to see. That mystery's been revealed to us. And he says, now, that faith, the faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That system of belief. He says, I'm looking for a man that is qualified to be a deacon, and he's a man that knows the faith. We make a terrible mistake when we say these foolish lines. Elders' jobs is to do the spiritual work of the church, and deacons' jobs is to do the physical work of the church. Now find that one somewhere in the Bible. Anything that's done in the name of the Lord to profit the work of the Lord is a spiritual work. Someone looks and says, well, taking care of this facility isn't spiritual. It ought to be. We ought to want to take care of this facility so that we have a place to come together to worship God, and that's very spiritual. We ought to want it to be something that's attractive for visitors to come to so that they feel welcome, so that they have a place in which they can come to learn of God also. And evangelism is very spiritual. Friends, you can't name a work that moves forward the kingdom work that's not a spiritual work. And so it is. God says, I want every man to be a spiritual man. I want him to know the faith. And notice this. He says there at the beginning of verse 9, I want him to hold the mystery of the faith. What if you handed me this Bible and said, hey, will you hold on to that? You look over in a few minutes and say, are you holding? Yes, yes sir, I am. Well, after a few days, my arm gets tired. I say, well, you know, they're never going to notice. I'll, I'll just lay it down. You say, hey, are you holding? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm holding it. Now, have I really been holding it? No, I laid it down. What's the Lord saying about this faith? He says, I want you to find a man that holds it. 
You can come into his life in season and out of season, and he's still holding the faith. You can come into his life when he's living at his home, and he is a faithful man. You can come into his life when he's at his workplace, and, and you can eavesdrop as he's talking on the phone, and as he's striking business deals, and you'll see that he's a man of faith. You can see the way he deals in the community and where he coaches Little League, and he is a man of faith. And you can see when he comes together with the church people that he is a man of faith. The Lord says that if a man is going to be a deacon, he has to be a man that is holding. He doesn't pick it up and then lay it down when it's convenient to lay it down. He is a man that is holding that mystery. Now notice this, it has to have a vessel. Where's the faith going to be? The vessel is in a pure conscience. The conscience is that which guides us. It's that which sets boundaries to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And here, the conscience has to be pure. In other words, not only does the man know what is right and wrong, the man has not been violating his conscience. And so he has a pure conscience. That's the mind, the spiritual heart. And he is keeping God's system of belief that is formed from the new covenant. It's that mystery that's been revealed in Jesus Christ. And he's holding it in that pure conscience. In other words, the new covenant's forming in his conscience. And he's not violating it. I'm not suggesting to you that a man has to be perfect. And next Sunday night, we'll look at the word blameless. And we'll see that that's not teaching us perfection, but it is teaching us about a faithful life. David was a great leader. A man that had probably some of the greatest spiritual highs that anyone's ever had, and a few of probably the lowest lows that individuals have had. David's greatness was not in the fact that he committed some of the greatest sin. His greatness was in the fact that he refused to repeat those sins. That's why David could be called a man after God's own heart. Tonight, we're about to extend an invitation. And we know that there's no one here perfect. But on behalf of our Lord, we want to ask the question, have you been forgiven? What a wonderful blessing to be able to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. What a wonderful blessing once we become a child of God, if we strayed like David, we can come back to seek that joy of salvation that can only be found through God, His grace and the blood of His Son. Tonight, let's make sure that as we go throughout this week, let's fervently pray about our ministries, our kingdom work in this place. Let's pray for every man that has given his life to be a deacon. Let's pray in thanksgiving for those that have served and were recognized this morning. We love and appreciate those men for the many, many hours that they have given. And let's pray for those that will come in and step into that same God-given office by God-given qualifications to do a God-given work. But as we leave here, let's make sure that our life is right with our God.
Greatness is not in ourselves. It's in receiving what our great God has to offer. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.